Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to another off-season episode here of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks, everyone, as we are getting into the middle portion of February for listening to us. Uh, The NFL season is now officially over, which means we transition fully, even though, you know, everyone listening probably has transitioned into off-season mode as of a few weeks ago. Um, We are now all the way there as the entire NFL has their sights set on the NFL Combine, the uh, the beginning of the NFL League year, uh, cuts around the league, free agency. It's all going to happen within the next month. And uh, so we wanted to kind of take a good look at maybe what we're thinking about heading into things and then trying to figure out uh, what, what the Bills might do from there. And didn't want to do this alone, so... I brought the uh, the guy that you guys got to know throughout the season, our post-game co-host, Matt Beauvais. He is the sports director over at Channel 7, WKBW in Buffalo, and uh, he was kind enough to jump on the podcast to talk a little off-season stuff, even though he's like kind of cold and frozen out from from being <laughs> at the hockey rink so much. Matt, thanks for, for jumping on. No, thank you for having me. I got to admit, I kind of missed it, you know, like (laughs) while the season is going on and we're taping podcasts at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, you're like, man, there's going to be a time in a couple months when we're not doing this and I'm going to be super relaxed. And then you get done with football season. And the first thing you're like is, man, at least for me, I'm like, man, I kind of miss football season. So this is good. It's giving me a little taste of uh, kind of the chaos that was the last couple months. But thank you for having me. Yeah. The uh, it's we have to bring back your your bills brain because you've been you've been Sabres focused for the last for the last week here. I I think I mean, (laughs) I don't want to talk about the Sabres for too long, but is it is it depressing? Is it is it optimistic? What's going on over there? I think the Sabres are kind of the perfect metaphor for the Sabres is the weather we've had in Western New York these last couple of weeks. You okay. get teased with a couple nice days and you're like, hey, things are starting to turn the corner. And then, you know, we have a massive snowstorm again and you have to go outside and snow blow. Like that's the Sabres. It's, hey, things are starting to look up. This team's got a nice bright future. And then just a massive snowstorm happens. And you're like, well, no, they are still like the worst team in the NHL or one of the worst teams in the NHL. I will say, though, I know this is obviously a Bills podcast. It does feel like the Sabres are starting to turn a corner a little bit. They've got some nice pieces. I think they're on the right track, but they've still got a long way to go. Are they, like, turning the corner to, you know, just a <laughs> a, a crap-infested street? Or are they turning well, a corner to uh, to a legitimate, uh, legitimate upgrade? They are turning the corner onto like Niagara Falls Boulevard on a Saturday afternoon. And there's okay. a lot of red lights and there's a lot of traffic, but you know where you're going. Okay. You know the destination of where you've got to get to. It's just gonna be a kind of rough way of getting there. Oh, that's yeah. the best I can that's the best I can do. Oh, the the red lights on Niagara and Elmwood both just just crushing sometimes. It's, when when it's not your day, you know it's not your day. What um, would my South Towns reference have been? like if I so Niagara Falls Boulevard because I'm a North Towns guy? What would the equivalent of the South Towns be like Southwestern? Like, um, I don't even know. Like McKinley, we, we don't know. We don't really have have those. I mean, Main Street in Williamsville is probably the closest thing to it outside of the city. But like South Towns wise, I'm not. I'm not really sure, man. I don't. Yeah, I mean, because we've got transit, we've got Niagara Falls Boulevard. You know, the sun beats a little brighter up here in the North Towns. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure, sure, sure it does. All right, 
Before you continue to insult my uh, my neck of the woods, um, let's get into some Bills talk because yeah. this is the off season and this is the time where a lot of folk are really dialed in to figure out, okay, what the heck are the Bills going to do to get back where they should have been? And I think that's the way a lot of people are looking at it, that, that it should have been them against the Rams, even though they would have had to beat the Bengals and the Bengals were red hot. Um, that's the way a lot of people are anticipating this. Like just just talking to my to my father-in-law, like I've watched the the Super Bowl with uh, with my father-in-law and my wife and, and my mother-in-law. And and at the end of the game, as as we we're walking out the door, he's like, you know, it should have been. That should have been the Bills. And I'm like, that's that's a pretty popular sentiment amongst Bills fans right now. So now it's just trying to figure out, okay, how do they go about getting better? Or what is the right approach? Is it kind of continuing along with a team that was good enough to potentially make the Super Bowl this year and just trying to add pieces around it? Or is it, you know, make huge wholesale changes to to try and fire things up add stars the the rams way um and and go about it that way i know a lot of fans are out there going kind of getting impatient because of this slow build up to where the bills were and watching the rams kind of take shortcuts but you know it's it is a legitimate interesting conversation to have what what are your thoughts on that matt what do you think where do you think the bills kind of line up and how do you anticipate what they're going to do? I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. And I do think, though, that the patient way that they've approached these last couple of years should kind of be where they continue to go. And I know a lot of people after the Super Bowl were like, hey, they need to go all in and do what the Rams did because, look, it just worked for the Rams. But I think it's not a perfect comparison because... You know, the most important position in the NFL, and you could argue in all of professional sports, is the quarterback position. And the Rams traded for a quarterback who's 34 years old. So their window is a lot different and a lot smaller than the window the Bills have because Josh Allen is still 25 years old. And I know he's about to have a massive cap hit and things are going to change and it's a lot harder to win once that cap hit goes up. I understand that. But I do think the Bills are pretty much viewing themselves, and I don't think this is crazy, as a team that can contend for the next six, seven years, whatever it might be, really, as Josh Allen continues to be in his prime. So it's a conversation where like, they list, they need to keep doing what they're doing. There are areas where they need to get better. There's positions that they need to address, whether that be adding another skill player, adding somebody who can rush the passer, maybe improving at cornerback. Like Those are all very legitimate, but I would not be super quick to be throwing around their draft picks just to add players who could be here for a year or two, because then if you don't win, then obviously you set yourself up in a pretty tough position moving forward. You know, the name that I keep going back to is, we just talked about this because we were talking before the podcast, like, would you trade your first round pick? It would have to be like a perfect situation for if I'm the Bills to make that move. And I don't know if I would. Um, like Kelvin Ridley would be a really, really fun conversation to have. But sure. he's only got a year left on his deal. Right. And then he's going to get paid. So I don't know if that's one that you would make. So I, I think they're on the right path. And I don't think they need to try and go all in for just next year or for the next couple of years. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be aggressive because I think you can kind of do both things and still put yourself in a good position. Yeah, I think that's probably the way to go about it. And they will have some money to play with. They're going to have to do some angling to do it, but um, they, they will. I mean, Joe Shane in his introductory press conference when asked uh, you know, if he was ready to attack the draft and, and everything like that, said he spent the majority, like he was well-versed on rounds one through four. And then he said he was about to uh, get going on free agency because, quote, we were going to have some money there, which I which I found pretty interesting. A little little nugget of information. But yeah. that, that just means that the, uh, the Bills are intending on doing some things. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be anything huge any huge amount of cap room that they're going to establish for themselves because they still want to re-sign some of their own players. They still want to do a, a lot of other things, um, but they're going to have to trim some areas. Like 
AJ Klein probably is not going to be a member of the Bills last year, but he was more of a luxury than anything. Um, John Feliciano probably won't be here next year just because, you know, you're not really, you don't want, want to pay him what he would be owed on the cap for a backup. Um, and there's a, there's a few other examples of this as well. So yeah, the, uh, it has to be for the right player. Like you said, the Calvin Ridley one is even tough in itself because his cap hit is over $11 million in 2022. And I just don't know that the bills can't want to, they can, like I said, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of pushback from, from people out there thinking, oh, they can just restructure this, restructure that. Uh, and you know, and cut a bunch of players and that way they have all this cap room to add legitimate, legitimate stars. But that's not exactly how Brandon Bean plays it. You know, he was on the, uh, the Eric, Eric Woods podcast a few days ago. Um, I think they taped earlier this week, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, he was asked in a lit from a listener question about the concept of, doing the Rams thing, going all in. And what I, I found a few things interesting from what he said, but uh, the biggest takeaway was, quote, we have to be responsible here paying Josh Allen here what we're paying him. We can get really top-heavy fast if we're not careful. Then he went on to say, I'm not really into the one-year all-or-nothing type thing. And he also used the term fixed cost, which is the, the first-round pick and knowing what you're going to pay them for a four-year span. So those are important aspects to it. He didn't rule out trading away the first pick, but I just don't know that the way that this thing is going, they probably look at that first pick as a tremendous building block into the next wave because they want to keep this window open for as long as they can. And they know they, they're probably going to be pretty good in 2022. So... What's what's the play here? Is it pushing the chips all in or is it listening to what Brandon Bean said on the Eric Wood podcast and just saying, quote, I'm not really into the one year all or nothing type thing. So, you know, there there's there's two sides to it. And that's kind of where it comes back to the if there's a perfect situation out there, then you explore it like Stefan Diggs was the perfect situation to move and trade a first-round pick because he had a really favorable contract, he was still young, and it also happened to fill a massive position of need for the Bills. So it really checked all of the boxes. If there's another player out there that falls in a similar situation or that could be add, you know, added for you know the right reasons, then I don't think it's off the table. But I don't think he's going to force a a trade or for something to make sure that they get one more, you know, really high-end player here because I just don't think he thinks that way. So I do think, though, is, and it really ultimately all comes down to this. As long as Josh Allen is the quarterback of this team, they're going to be competitive and they're going to contend. They're going to be able to go on runs and they're going to give themselves a shot. So if you can have just a continuously slow build of just tweaking your roster, I think you're always going to give yourself a shot. And I know it's frustrating for Bills fans to hear that, especially, like you said, after talking to your father-in-law, a lot of my friends, my dad even, they all said the same thing. It was like, that should be the Bills celebrating. And that's a totally fair point because I probably think so too. But I do think they're on the right track. They should just continue to stay on that track to an extent, not put all of the... It's like you know, going all in on like your first hand when you've got an okay hand, like don't do that. Just play it slow, make the right plays. <laughs> um, it's they're They're looking at uh, this whole build from, I think a different perspective a, a lot different perspective than, than what the Rams just did. Um, you know, obviously they went for it in a big way by trading every single first round pick they've ever had basically. And, <laughs> and it ended up working out this year for them. Um, they had to get some things to go their way, but that's just the same thing. I mean, there's no one build that is superior to the other. And it's just based on philosophy and how much you stick to that philosophy. I think where teams start getting into trouble is where, is when they start trying to do a little bit of everything, then they catch themselves into um, 
into a rough spot, um, whether it be from a cap perspective or they don't have young players to to build their roster around and everything like that. So it, it they just have to be careful. But I don't think the way that the Bills are going about it is wrong. And one of the, the big reasons why I think the Bills are going to feel empowered to stick along the way that they've been building it this offseason is the return they got on their their draft investments in 2021. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking yep. Devin Singletary. We're talking Dawson Knox. Um, we saw Ed Oliver take a take a step forward. We saw Harrison Phillips take a massive step forward. And I'm, I think of Gabriel Davis. Like, these are five players who are all taken within the first four rounds that have become legitimate starters for them. And yes, they need to re-sign Harrison Phillips, but... That to them makes has to make them feel comfortable with their development uh, staff and how they're able to use use these young players and, and get them uh, to a certain point in their career where they can be uh, legitimate impact players on this roster. So I get it. I, I get that a lot of people out there want to see them go get a a, a huge free agent uh, defensive end or because they they lacked. Uh, the finishing capabilities from the edge. Um, I also understand that that people want to change around their offense, change around the offensive line a little bit. But I kind of wonder if the biggest swing we're going to see them take is just who they end up drafting with that first pick, and then continuing to focus on that draft develop and retention policy that they've always had. There's, there's, a, I mean, look at the the players that could potentially take a jump. Um, Greg Rousseau, uh, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of lump AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham in, in the same bucket there. I think both of those guys are probably a rotational guy. If one of them becomes a starter, that's, that's great for them. Spencer Brown could take a step forward. Um, could even throw Zach Moss in there, even though I probably wouldn't. Um, Dane Jackson is another one that could, that could take a step forward. How about a guy like Andre Smith? Um, who could be their third linebacker uh, or Tyrell Dodson could be their third linebacker. So there's a lot of different little, uh, little avenues to where they can, you know, get more out of these guys that they've been spending so much time on. And it's the biggest reason for me why I'm wondering, okay, what is this offseason going to look like? And if they do take a free agent swing, is it really going to be that big of one? Maybe I'm wrong, but you know, that's, I just don't know that they they're going to take a. I mean, Brandon Bean even said it. it. Just it just doesn't feel like they're going to go um, completely uh, just throw caution to the wind and make a make a big free agent splash. The one position where where I feel like this could happen, and it almost is just strictly from a number standpoint, is if they went out and signed an edge rusher in free agency, that's somebody who's got experience, who's proven, almost like they did with Mario Addison a couple years ago. But correct me if I'm wrong, the only edge rushers on their roster right now for next year or under contract would be Rousseau, Epinesa, and Boogie Basham, right? It's the three of those guys. And Mike Love. Okay, and Mike Love. So the, <laughs> so, the, so the three of those guys. So if Jerry Hughes wants to come back for like one more year on a team-friendly deal, because I feel like he probably should be getting that at this point in his career, then that makes sense because he knows the, he knows the defense. He knows the system that they're playing. But, I mean, with Mario Edison probably done, unless they signed him again, which would be a surprise to me. I do think that's an area where they could go and spend some of their money. And I know they don't have a ton of money, but I do still think it's probably the biggest area that they need to address. You could make the argument that it's cornerback. You could also say that they should go at a skill position. I think they should probably do something in all three of those positions. But I still think that the you know pass rush was not nearly consistent enough last year. And even if... Greg Rousseau, AJ Epinesa, and Boogie Basham all take steps forward. You just need at least somebody else there. So maybe this is another situation where they try and address it in the first round and they take another young pass rusher who's going to be on a cost-controlled deal for the next four or five years. But at the same time, I do feel like if you have to spend $10 million to go out and get a player you really like. Like last year, it seemed like they were in on J.J. Watt, and then he ultimately chose to go to Arizona. 
I don't know if there's another player out there. That but he was also a two. defensive tackle. That's that's the he, other piece. He's to got this. the he's got like the position versatility and stuff that they of course seek, and I know that that's valuable to them. But I, I just think from a number standpoint, they have to sign somebody. So yeah. if you're going to spend six million dollars on a guy who is like a middle of the road player. I am of the belief that you should just spend the little bit extra money and go out and get somebody who you really think can make an impact. And, uh, you know, the name that I keep coming back to and you know, is Chandler Jones. I, I don't know if that's crazy. I don't know if that's way too rich for the Bills' blood, but it feels like he's the type of player who could really help this team and who probably wants to ki- go to a contender. And he's from Rochester, so he's familiar with the area. There's a lot of connections. It just seems like somebody like him could make sense. I'm not saying it will happen because right now the odds would probably go the completely other way. He's just the name that I keep coming back to because I think he's still dynamic. He's still productive. I think he had like 12 sacks last year and he's on the back half of his career. You could probably sign him for two or three years and, you know, just hope it really works out during that window. Yeah, the the Watt situation, um, they could have opened up money by um by cutting and moving on from mario addison because the timing of the watt thing because uh the texans moved on from him was that they were able to sign him before any of these other decisions had to be made so the bills basically could have formulated their entire um off-season approach around jj watt if they really wanted to so i would have doubted if um mario addison and vernon butler would have been back uh in in 2021 if they were able to get jj watt on the dotted line but it ended up being too rich for their blood and so they were in but it kind of seemed like they weren't all the way in now over on um spot track chandler jones uh his market value uh, according to their projection is a three-year 43 million dollar contract 14 and a half million average annual salary and you could you could could tweak it you could tweak it but it does seem like it's a it's a pretty rich deal, especially for someone as impactful as him. The way that I look at defensive end, and I knew I I knew that we were gonna get to this uh, to this conversation in the podcast because it's pretty popular amongst the fan base right now. The way that I view the defensive end conversation is a lot in the same way that we looked at tight end last year. Now, tight end had Dawson Knox and nobody else, basically. Um, you know, they, they traded away Lee Smith, uh, Zach Ertz almost got traded to the bills 700 times. Um, and (laughs) they, they wound up only doing one thing, which was to bring in, uh, a, a journeyman tight end in Jacob Hollister. And they ended up cutting him before the season even started because they liked the progress that, uh, Dawson Knox made. They went into the off season uh, they went into their spring and summer looking at Dawson Knox going, okay, prove it to us that you can do it. And I just, I really wonder if defensive end is is the same kind of thing here. Because if Rousseau hits, and there were a lot of promising signs for him, then we're looking at this position in an entirely different light next offseason. I mean, think about the way that you felt about tight end last year's offseason and how you think about it now. You're like, oh, shoot, when can they sign Dawson Knox to an extension? <laughs> As opposed to, oh, they need somebody to come in and replace him. Dawson Knox isn't it. Uh, everything like that. It's just he had a breakout year. And I think the Bills are patient enough in their development to think, okay, let's see what these young players can do with an enhanced role. I'm not sure it's the light is going to go on for AJ Epinesa. It could. In his third season, there weren't a lot of flashes like there were with Dawson Knox in the previous year, but I'm not ruling it out. Um, Boogie Basham, I think, probably has a better chance to, to you know, rise up a little bit more than Epinesa. But Rousseau absolutely has a bunch of potential. So I'm kind of looking at this and going, okay, if they want to spend five, six million on a pass rusher, um, I think to fill out their rotation, I think that is more than doable from a cap perspective and just from being smart about it um, rather than trying to get yourselves into trouble when Josh Allen's cap hits are about to balloon in 2023. So Jerry Hughes, I think, is is a 
perfectly good idea for it because you know how he's going to work with the young guys. You know, like you said, you know that he's very fond of the area, very fond of the organization, probably wants to win in his age 34 season. And there's just a lot of, and you're going to get what was a, if in terms of a pressure percentage player, a top 12 pass rusher last year, the sacks were not there. The finishing was not there, but to, he got heat on the opposing player, uh, on the opposing quarterback. And I kind of, you know, this kind of gets left out of the conversation. The late regular season um, action against Kansas City, the last play of uh, of the um, of regulation. Jerry Hughes was half a step from sacking Patrick Mahomes. If he had an instant win, would have completely changed the tra- trajectory of their season if the Bills were just in a different defensive alignment, Jerry Hughes would have been a hero. He's still got a lot of game left. And that's why I'm thinking, okay, re-sign him for $5, 6000000 million and then see what Rousseau, Bashman, Epinesa can do. Or if he wants to go to Houston or something like that and, and be closer to where he's from, more power to him. But get someone kind of in that, uh, in that dollar range to that way you're not completely screwing yourself over in future years. But there's still such, and I see what you're saying, and I understand that point, but just the way that they rotate defensive ends and defensive linemen in general, even if you bring back Jerry Hughes, I still feel like they need at least one more guy. Because let's use air quotes here. But if they bring back Jerry Jerry Hughes, their starters would be Jerry Hughes and Greg Rousseau. And they basically need Greg Rousseau to take the next step But even if he does take the next step with Jerry Hughes' age and the way that they like to rotate players, I feel like they'd still need another guy. And that's where Basham and Epinesa come in. But and I maybe I'm too low. I I don't Boogie Basham. I almost feel like just gets pushed to the side here because I don't really know what Boogie Basham is going to be. Maybe AJ Epinesa does take the next step. But I felt like we were having that conversation about him last year, and then it never really felt like he even took the step. And then he found himself not even active certain weeks of the year. Whether or not that was the right decision is a different conversation. But I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of what-ifs there. And if you're going to have money to spend, I think this might be the place to do it because you do need two guys at this position just just from a number standpoint, you probably need to add at least two more people to that room. So I I don't know. I mean, I, I understand maybe you go out and you improve your second corner spot. Maybe you go out and you add another playmaker, whether that be a running back, a wide receiver, whatever. I just feel like this still is the thing that the team needs the most which is weird because it's the same thing we were talking about last year at this time. If they re-sign Jerry Hughes, then I, I would have a hard time thinking that they make another uh, significant free agent play for someone else. I think the the way to go about it would be um, to draft one um, and re-sign Jerry Hughes. I don't, that doesn't even need to be the first round. Maybe, you know, at any point, if you feel the value is there, just, just take a swing on a pass rusher. But I don't know that they want to use all of their available off-season cap room resources on just one position. And not to mention, it's not even the most important position on their defensive line. That That is defensive tackle Ed Oliver. And if Ed Oliver is playing as well as he was late in the year, then I think this is kind of a, a moot point here. Because if Rousseau takes a step forward and, and plays a lot more consistently than he did last year from a pass rushing perspective then that helps everything. Helps Jerry Hughes, it helps helps Ed Oliver. If they get Harrison Phillips to re-sign, helps him as well. So there's there's just a lot of things that I think are standing in the way of them taking a legitimate swing at the position. And I I understand um, that people are frustrated and they saw the Super Bowl and they saw uh, Aaron Donald just completely go crazy against the Bengals offensive line and they saw Trey Hendrickson, you know, get back to Patrick Mahomes. But the one thing that uh, the Bengals were able to do that the Bills were unable to do 
is the Bengals settle into a nice little defensive scheme in the second half of that game where they only rushed three guys the majority of the time. They dropped eight in the coverage and they allowed their pass rushers to just kind of go after it. And with the amount of time that Patrick Mahomes held on to the ball in that second half, I, there's going to be opportunities for just about um, anybody like of a Jerry Hughes, Greg Rousseau um, sort of sort of talent level. Ed Oliver, I think, is is the key here, and they have him locked in. He's the most important player on their defensive line, so that's why I'm not as so all in about the idea that they need to add something significant at defensive end. They have their best player on the defensive line, and that is Ed Oliver. And if they can figure it out from there, then go for it. When Sean McDermott's Carolina defenses were like great at getting after the passer, it was Kawan Short as as the pivot guy right in the middle, and he was outstanding those years. So, um, and he definitely made life easier for the defensive ends too. So that that's you know it's just devil's advocate. I know. But yeah. it's it's more most definitely my least popular off-season take <laughs> by leaps and bounds because people are just like, go get Von Miller, go get Chandler Jones like you're talking about. I just don't know with Brandon Bean's philosophy and with the way that their defense is set up, I just don't know that that's going to be their play this off-season. This is a very, this would be a very like depth move, but... F.A. Obata feels like somebody who probably has a shot at coming back next year. Is that fair? Just because of the position versatility, he did have some success in the limited role that he got. And he knows, obviously, the team. And, you know, he was a very well-liked guy. Doesn't it feel like he's probably going to be in that room also next year? He's going to get paid more than you think he will. Well, so what? what is more than I think he will? Because he made a million last year. I think he'll probably get paid three and a half, four million. Is he worth it at that point? That's that's the question you have to ask yourself because they, for as much as they made FA or I'm sorry, as much as they made Boogie Basham inactive last year, let's see FA Obata was inactive. Please hold. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in 2021. Boogie Basham was inactive. I think nine games uh, out of out of 19. So I don't know. You think somebody's going to pay a guy three and a half a year that was inactive eight times last year? Well, for the exact reason that you're talking about, that inside-outside flexibility. Now, I'm sure yeah. if this is going to be the last chance he, he has to you know, get, get a, a contract. Yeah, he's yeah. going to be 30 years old in pretty short order here. So I, I kind of wonder if maybe he just wants to see what's out there. But if you know it, it falls... It, it falls short of his expectations. Don't rule it out by any means. I mean, he'd be a nice piece. Like you said, they moved him inside a little bit outside. Um, I don't think the bills would necessarily be out on the, the idea of going with Hughes, Obata, Basham, Epinesa, and Rousseau again in 2022, as crazy as that might, might make people. Um, I wouldn't rule it out. I feel like if there is a move to be made on the defensive line, the one that seems like the most likely, you know, I was just talking about Obata, it's a different position, but it feels like Harrison Phillips is probably going to be back. Yeah, it I, be. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to get paid. I don't know what his market value is. Um, I don't even know if a player like him would have that on spot track. I'm about to check right now. Um, unless you beat me there. But yeah, I, I just feel like getting him signed should probably be a priority and I think and I think it will be because obviously he really did turn a corner last year and when he was playing alongside Ed Oliver they did some nice things yeah they I'm I'm with you I think Phillips should be back I think um his market value is 5.4 annual so a two-year deal for 10.8 million dollars and then you could seems like and you could front load it too um so there's there's a lot of different ways or i'm sorry you can back load it as well so that way you lessen the cap hit in in year one or you can even do three years uh, with the with the intention of never even getting to that third year um so there's there's ways that they can go about getting him under contract the one tricky part of this is that Star Latulale's contract is a lot more difficult to move on from now. Um, there was an update to his contract that wasn't there previously uh, to where two and a half million of his base salary locked in. And so now they would only receive around a little over a million to move on from Star Latulale. It's, it's probably 
The Latulale contract is probably a close second in terms of recent Bills contracts to Charles Clay for the worst um, of the last 10, 15 years. Uh, it just, they just have been unable to get out from it. And it, I think their best course would be try to get him to agree to a pay cut. And then, so that way they save the room and they keep the player because they still do like him, but they need to find some flexibility and uh, getting Harrison Phillips, I think is a big thing for them because that would give them a nice little uh, pairing between Phillips and at Oliver to where they could focus their attentions elsewhere uh, in, in the draft. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Harrison Phillips definitely took a step forward. And I think this is the right time to strike for the Bills because, you know, they still can play, oh, well, he's been injured a lot card. They can play that, well, we don't really have a huge sample size. And so we would be m- more uh, projecting than anything. Um, and so they can kind of bring the value down a little bit. So I think for them, they could get a pretty good starter here on a on a cost that not necessarily um, you wouldn't be able to find this talent level as long as he stays healthy and and stays playing the same way that he did late in the year. Joe, do you think Levi Wallace is back? What's your take on that? Yeah, it's um, I think Levi. Uh, I don't know how much he's going to make on the open market. I think he'll wind up getting more than we suspect, just like Obata. But this is also the um, this is also a, a pretty interesting time of his career too, because he's getting up there in age, and he is. I don't know how many more times he's going to be able to. Uh, go into unrestricted free agency. I mean, he's going to be 27 pretty soon. I just wonder if maybe some team gives him seven, eight, nine million dollars a year. And at that point, if you're the Bills, you don't want to spend that much on your number two cornerback when you have so much cap space attributed to Tredavious White in itself. Um, you've got Taron Johnson signed to a pretty big contract and they play different positions, but it still goes into the same conversation here where how much are you willing to allocate uh, to to the cornerback position? And if, if you would feel better off, and I think they probably would be better off um, to, to, you know, draft a guy and have a fixed cost at that cornerback position and then fill out the depth the rest of the way and see if Dane Jackson might be able to start or maybe the guy you draft is able to start just just feels like that that's a bigger cost than maybe they'd be willing to handle um but they do love the guy so you can't rule it out uh, I think it's got to be one or the other of Harrison and Levi if I had to guess and if I had to choose between the two I would probably say Harrison Phillips should be back over Levi Wallace did you have you seen Levi Wallace's market value according to Spot Track? Yeah, I have. It's uh, it's, it's almost ten million legit. dollars. I know, and his uh, over the cap evaluation from last year was over eight million dollars. So I I think I think Levi is probably going to get a nice little uh, nice little payday in the open market. Yeah, if that's what it's going to cost to retain him, then I almost think that maybe shifts your priority. I still think that if there's like a wide receiver that you love or like you mentioned, a pass catching running back in the first round that you should not be scared away from taking that guy. But if there is an impact player who you think can step into a starting role at cornerback, that makes a lot of sense because then once again, you've got a position that you know what it's going to cost you for the next several years Mm -hmm. and you're putting that across from Tredavious White and you like Dane Jackson enough where you can still have him in that depth role. So to me, if you were going to ask me today what I think the most likely thing they do in the first round is, it's probably draft a cornerback. But I also said that last year, and once again, Levi Wallace was a starting <laughs> cornerback on this team. And I feel like I've said the same thing for several years, and Levi Wallace has continued to be the corner. So I don't know. That's kind of why I keep thinking, eh, maybe he is going to stick around for something. Because I know how much he likes it here, and I know how much he wants to be here. But man... 
if he could go get nine or ten million dollars from another team and the Bills can only offer him five or six, I, I don't know how you turn down all that extra money, especially for a guy who you know is undrafted and is looking for his real first payday in the NFL. Yeah, you want to uh, really take this down the roster building rabbit hole here? Um, I would love to. If they were to draft a cornerback this year, say the first or second round, and he winds up being a hit, he is on a fixed rookie cost for the next four years. And by the time his rookie deal runs up, is Trey's done. Trey is done, and Trey yeah. will be 31 years old at that point. So conceivably, you could. If the cornerback hits as well as you think he will, you could re-sign, um, re-sign that young player and move on from Tredavious White and continue the and just start the whole conversation over again. Maybe draft a corner that year as well. Uh, it's <laughs> it's kind of I like when teams have the foresight to do that sort of thing. And the Bills kind of executed it the way that um the way that I'm talking about at defensive tackle too, because the the way that they originally structured Star Latulale's contract um, was to be able to get out from it the year that they had to start paying their three technique at Oliver, which is the true money position in their in their room. So that to me is why I'm like, okay, maybe this is the year that they they take a big swing on a cornerback because it fits into their overall three four year plan here, but. That all depends on the player hitting, and you can never fully bank on it. But you know, just for planning purposes, it's a it's a wise thing to do. So that's you know that's that's kind of where my mind is at when when we talk about what what the Bills could do in the draft. It, you know, thinking about more than just 2022, I think is the big part of it. I do think, though, man, I think corner is the most likely thing to happen, but. Them going out and like adding another wide receiver would be a lot of fun because they've been, you know, for the most part, they had COVID problems with their wide receivers this year, but they have been pretty healthy at that position these last couple of years. And who knows if there is an injury that happens, you never want to be able to lose your fastball. I know you're going to hear that a lot these next couple months as the offseason begins, as the draft begins, but I think there's some truth to it. Like if you can go out and get another dynamic playmaking wide receiver who maybe brings you a little bit of a different element that Gabriel Davis and Stefan Diggs don't bring, I think that you should be looking into that. I don't exactly know if I'm talking about one player in particular, if it's something that happens in the draft, if it's a guy who slips a little bit. I just think, man, like it'd be a really hard offense to stop if you had one more really legitimate threat out there. Like if you if you trotted onto the field, Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox, and then insert name here, and that other player is somebody you really need to keep an eye out for. That could be dangerous. And that mm -hmm. also brings us to the Cole Beasley conversation of, I don't know whether or not Cole Beasley is going to be on this team next year. Yeah, I think that if the price is right and if they can figure something out with him, there's probably a good chance he's back. But I think he lost a step last year. and I don't know if he's worth you know, what he's making to have that same role next year. I think Cole will be back. Um, and because I think they view him... And a um, a pretty integral role to what they're trying to do because I don't know, and I agree with you. I think that Cole, when it in terms of you know yards after catch, in terms of uh, his ability to separate uh, in the intermediate area, I think it was a struggle for him this past year, and it was did not come as easy to him as it did in years past, but. Um, as we both have pointed out multiple times throughout the season, he's still a, a really good asset against zone coverage. And teams played zone against the Bills uh, a little over 60% of the time. So there's still a lot of value there. And the one revealing thing that I saw more than anything when in terms of the Cole Beasley versus Isaiah McKenzie discussion, down the stretch... Cole Beasley played 20 of their final 24 snaps against the Chiefs, and Isaiah McKenzie had one and didn't touch the field for like the final 20 snaps or something like that. So when you look at it from that perspective, Cole probably still figures in. 
I do think that there's a way to maneuver his pretty big cap hit because I don't think he's worth that cap hit coming up. If you were to go to him and say, okay, look, we'll guarantee all your salary here, um, all your base salary uh, for the upcoming season, just needs you to take a one and a half to two million pay cut. From Beasley's perspective, he would go to his agent and be like, okay, what do you think here? And the agent would go, well, for a 33-year-old player um, that that uh, struggled with injuries the past year, and the perception is that maybe he's not going to say this to him. Obviously, the perception is maybe yeah. he lost <laughs> lost a step. Um, could Cole Beasley attain that amount of guaranteed money on a one-year deal outside of the Bills organization? So I think that would just be a okay. Well, if because at this point. Beasley is not owed a single thing from the Bills. So it would be more in his interest to lock in, say, five, six million dollars, as opposed to trying to hit the free agent market and maybe having to sign for minimum two million dollars, three million dollars. We saw what happened to John Brown once he once he hit the open market. So any way to avoid that, I think both sides can kind of meet in the middle. And so that way Cole gets still kind of paid. Uh, the Bills keep their guy. And then, I'm with you. Draft a receiver at some point. I would even do it in the first round. I, I'm i fascinated with the idea. Someone that can play in the slot uh, doesn't necessarily have to be every single snap because Diggs can do it a little bit. Gabriel Davis can do it a little bit. But if you find a player that gives you an element to your offense that you don't have under contract right now, go for it. I mean the best teams in the NFL are going to be the ones that outscore. <laughs> you can outscore um, because, I mean, the Bengals' defense was ridiculously lucky, but their offense was just on an absolute heater for the last two months. Uh, the The Chiefs have, you know, had to overcome some defensive issues throughout their Super Bowl window, and they have just been obviously one of the most dominant teams in uh in the entire league. So if you have the offense working and like Diggs, uh Devin Singletary slash some other running back, um Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox, insert draft pick, Cole Beasley, like that's going to be a headache for a lot of teams and I I kind of wonder if maybe that's the true focal point of the offseason because you know, you know that the defense is probably going to be pretty good under Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott. And you've got a lot of guys coming back from last year in your starting lineup. But the one thing you don't know is how the offense is going to look under Ken Dorsey. So might as well just give as much firepower as possible to Josh Allen and company. Can I ask you an incredibly ridiculous hypothetical question that seems like a lot of fun? Always. Take your pick. Cordero Patterson for $9 million or Cole Beasley for his current contract, which is like 7.6? Um, I don't know. I think it's a tough one. I love Cordero Patterson, and I think he's that's too a much ton for him. of fun. That's too much. But it is. But that's his, so I, the reason I said $9 million is because that is his calculated market value. And after the year he had, and after what we saw like Debo Samuel do last year, somebody is going to think that they can you know catch lightning in a bottle and give him that. If it was less than that, like if you could get Cordero Patterson for $6 million on a two-year deal, so $12 million total, $6 million annual, I think you absolutely consider doing that just because he can do so many different things and he can kind of give you that dimension. The counter argument here is that Isaiah McKenzie can do a lot of these similar. Isaiah McKenzie can't do the things that Cordero Patterson can. So well, no, he can't. He can't line up in the backfield and you right. know, just like hit the hole like Cordero Patterson can. But Isaiah McKenzie's probably. Let's look up Isaiah McKenzie's projected. Uh, I also saw Contract. that I, I also saw that Cordero Patterson wasn't as great of a of a rushing threat as you would have thought. I mean, he scored a lot of touchdowns, um, but like yeah, they they kind of they kind of uh, figured him in the Atlanta Falcons offense out. I mean, even 
I remember when the Bills played them, Ed Oliver said, well, we knew what they're going to do. It was either to the right or to the left. It's just going to be <laughs> an, an outside <laughs> toss whenever uh, whenever Cordero pa- Patterson got the ball. So uh, it was kind of predictable. So, th- yeah, there are ways that you can make it less predictable. But I don't know if he's going to – I think that might be – I wouldn't rule it out by any means. Uh, I think there's a way to have both those players. Ooh, now you're talking. But you would need to get Cole Beasley to agree to a pay cut. And with Cordero Patterson, I think it's, you know, sign him to a three-year deal, lessen that cap hit in year one, and make it pretty and load up guaranteed money in the first year um, to where, you know, the signing bonus and all the base salary, things like that, uh, hit to where he gets paid. But... You know, so that way you can get out in year two or year three. So are, th- are there any wide? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you off. Are there any wide receivers that you think could make a lot of sense for this team if they go the free agent route or the trade route, as opposed to drafting somebody in an early round? You know, we don't know what Emmanuel Sanders is going to do next year, but for the sake of conversation, let's assume he retires or he's not back and then they've got, you know, a little bit of money to work with and they try and fit some. Is there anybody in particular you think could really make sense for them? Um, I would probably advise the draft route, uh, all things being equal. I know I I saw some people advocate for Allen Robinson out there. I just don't know that they're going to have the... Oh, that would be... But (laughs) but it's... A lot of money. It would cost them a lot of money and what does that mean for Gabriel Davis at that point? Um, because yeah. I don't know if you're moving Stefan Diggs into the slot full time. Uh, Robinson's more of an outside receiver. It's just not really sure about that. Um, you know, maybe, uh, what about, what do you think about Juju? Yeah. I, I still, I think he might even be priced out a little bit. It might be a good opportunity to capitalize on a slot receiver that you didn't think you would be able to get. Um, based on his bad year last year, still has talent. Uh, you know, I, I I wouldn't rule him out by any means. I kind of wonder if maybe um, he's second-guessing not going to Kansas City last year and uh, maybe, yeah. might, maybe might go back. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah I, he's, he's someone that's slightly intriguing and more cost-effective, I would say. Um, you know, Jamison Crowder might be someone that uh, – might be a little bit more cost effective because his reputation isn't necessarily sterling out there in the league right now. Um, so there's there are players that Jamison Crowder is the when in doubt in a fantasy league play Jamison Crowder. Yeah, slot guy. guy just that guy just eats PPR points. <laughs> Seven catches for forty one yards. Yep. I mean, he's a good slot receiver, and he's, yeah. he's probably not going to be back with the Jets because they've invested heavily at that position. So that's someone that could do it. But if if I had to, if this were me, I would just go to the draft and take someone on a, you know, a a good fixed cost because Stefan Diggs is going to need a new contract pretty soon here. Gabriel Davis only has two years left on his rookie deal, and so it would make the most sense to me to invest in the draft, let Cole Beasley still be there a part of your team because let's let's not forget Josh Allen loves Cole Beasley. And that's a that's a big component to this too. So you don't want to rip the entire receiver room uh from what it was the previous year because you know the Bills are still thinking, hey, we were 13 seconds away from probably competing for a Super Bowl last year. So I don't know that they're going to make just these absolute wholesale changes on the offense. And that's why the, the first round player if or a second round player at receiver, if you bring him in, bring him along slowly as they like to do with their young players, work him in a, in a rotational role as, as the season goes along. And then in year two, once Cole Beasley's contract is done, you still have Gabriel Davis on his rookie deal. You could um, sign Stefan Diggs to his extension. And that way you have a, a trio, uh, a cost-effective trio for 2023 when the Josh Allen cap hit goes up to $40 million. Just, what? just a way to go about it. Is there a player in particular you have in mind as far as the Bills no, and potentially a wide receiver? And why is it Jamison Williams? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet, not yet, not yet. I, 
I uh, go deep into draft mode once uh, once we get back from the combine. Um, free agency is is the first focus, and then once. Uh, but I am very much looking because wide receiver is my favorite position to look at um, in the draft process. So I am very much looking forward to uh, taking a look at all of these different guys because I think there is some some real talent out there. What about you? You've asked me a bunch I- of questions. What about you? Well, I, I'm going to just pump your tires for a second real quick, but I told this story the other day, and it was the year of, you were down at the Senior Bowl, and we were sitting there, and we were talking after the Senior Bowl, and I remember you filed a story from Mobile about Cooper Cup, mm-hmm. and you came back, and you were talking about how good you think Cooper Cup is going to be, and I'm like, who in the world is Cooper Cup, and why are you telling me about this guy? And then fast forward to the Super Bowl the other day, and what did you know? It Cooper Cup is maybe the best receiver in the NFL, and I keep thinking back to that conversation we had after you got back to the Senior Bowl that year. And for me, if it's a wide receiver, it's the name that I mentioned, and once again, you're going to dive so much deeper into this than I will. I am <laughs> excited for the combine to just kind of hear different people's opinions mm-hmm. and talk to people who are in the know about all of this stuff but it feels like Jamison Williams could be like the perfect Brandon Bean Sean McDermott pick of the guy's value is a little down because of the injury you don't know when he's going to be ready the Bills have the luxury of not needing him to be ready and play a massive role right away and it really could be a nice value pick because if he doesn't get hurt he's probably a top 10 top 15 pick and now most people think that he's going to be somebody who's available later on in the round and that just seems like the perfect storm for the Bills and yeah the you, you, you know you got to make sure that he's good and that the injury isn't something that's going to linger and that you're confident he's going to come back. But my goodness gracious, if that guy was ready to play even a month into next season, and these are just me completely guessing things, but if that guy was ready and you could march him out onto the field with Diggs and Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox, like what do you do mm-hmm. if you're an opposing defense? The profile is good. Um, I don't know enough about the player yet. Uh, and so uh, – I, I never want to mislead and talk about players that I don't really know a lot about um, because, you know, this is – I don't really watch a ton of college football during the NFL season just because, you, you know. don't have time to. <laughs> well, Saturdays are usually my off day from football, and so I'm not usually watching more football, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. Um, but I will catch – the occasional game or highlight or, or anything like that. Um, so I'm I'm excited to see what Jamison Williams has uh, brings to the table. Same thing with Traylon Burks, um, uh, the Ohio State kid, Chris Olav Olave. I don't even know how to pronounce his name just yet. Um, yeah, so uh, you have to have to dive deep into all these different guys. Um, this, uh, like I said, wide receiver is my cup of tea. Um, I went back and I found that article that you're talking about. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it was Cooper Cup steals the show at the top of it. Uh, then I go on to talk about Zay Jones. <laughs> so what a yeah. what a year that was. Uh, Nathan Peterman, the leader of an underwhelming quarterback group, <laughs> is bullet point number two. Number three is UCLA. Offensive tackle Connor McDermott has a big time win. <laughs> wound up, oh my god! Wound up being a best player. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see. Is there anybody else in there? Nobody else that they uh, they wound up taking. But ooh, Evan Ingram is was in that Senior Bowl. How about that? Was Cooper Cup a second or third round pick? Cooper Remember Cup. Off the top of your head. Second. I think a third. Second. I think third. Third round who's, pick. Who's third? Third. Who's the 69th pick? Yeah, he. Uh, He's really good. Um, okay. Uh, is there any unpopular take you would like to leave Bill's fans with before before we bid them adieu on this fine Friday? Oh, man. I probably have so many unpopular because, takes. Because I already, I already pissed people off enough with my defensive end talk. So I figure make it, uh, make it equal here. Okay. This is maybe a little bit of an unpopular take, but... I think that if there's an opportunity to improve the running back position, they should very much consider it because even though Devin Singletary was very good down the stretch, I don't know if he's for sure the guy. I don't think that's unpopular. You don't think so? <laughs> no. 
I no, feel like I think, everybody. I think, I think they're into it. You think they're into it, or you think the fan? I, th- base I think is into I think it? fan base is into it. Okay. Uh, well, I guess I guess it's maybe not as <laughs> I just, controversial. I just as wrote I thought about it uh, running backs, and some people were like, "Hey, get the offensive line in order first. But other people were like, "Yes, get Kenneth Walker," or or "Hey, go get uh, go get Dalvin Cook's brother," or something along those lines. But yeah, yeah. Or, or, just, or trade I, for McCaffrey is another comment on, on the piece I just wrote over at The Athletic. I don't think that's yeah. going to happen, but you never know. <laughs> I would be – that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would. Uh, I don't know. I, I like Devin Singletary a lot, and I think that he's got a role on this team for the next several years. But at the same time, we spent, you know, 13 or 14 weeks of last season talking about how the Bills weren't getting enough production from their running backs and the recency bias is there. And I still think that that is a position that Mm -hmm. it wasn't that long ago that I was saying like, Hey, if Melvin Gordon's cheap, maybe the Bills should take a look at him. And it feels like that was like a bajillion years ago. And I'm not talking about him in particular, but I do think that it's something that could be addressed because I don't have really any faith in Zach Moss at this point. And I just think that they need another person, at least in the room. Um, if they don't draft one, which I would like, if if you get to the second, third, fourth round and you take a running back, sure, go for it because Zach Moss took a big step back last year. Here's a here's a guy that I wouldn't mind for them, Chase Edmonds, um, kind of a pass catching back, it, a little bit more. Isn't he gonna get paid? I don't know because he was kind of a part time role and Arizona never committed to him. I don't know. It's he's a uh, he's intriguing. You know, twenty five years old. You never know with running backs. They they just they tend to either have one team fall in love with them, like the Raiders did with Kenyon Drake, or the market just falls completely flat, like it did with James Conner, who wound up signing for peanuts in NFL terms and wound up being their go to running back by, by the end of the season. So who knows? I think I think Raheem Mostert's a fun name to talk about. Yeah, he's old and coming off an injury, so that one's tough. Um, that's but that's kind of why I like it yeah. because I feel like he might be speed. like the mm-hmm. yeah it's mm-hmm. like you want to add speed and it's almost kind of like what they did with Matt Breda last year mm-hmm. but with another different San Francisco 49ers running back a more accomplished one I would add um, yeah it'll be fun where was Mostert but where was Mostert bef- was he just San Francisco no I think like the Browns Cleveland ring a bell yeah Cleveland is ringing a bell. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Too. I think he was on like a practice squad playing special teams somewhere else. Um, I, I think that was his story. Let me let me. Find wow, he, he's yeah. No, it's been it was Baltimore, Miami, Cleveland, all in the same year. Then right. he was in Chicago, yeah. and then San Francisco in 2016, and he's been there since. Yep, he's a Shanahan guy. Yeah, I it just you know a name a name that mm-hmm. I would like. I was surprised at the same thing with like Jarek McKinnon because he became you know a thing in the playoffs Raheem Mostert will be 30 by the time the season starts what was Matt Burita this year I think like 27 28 oh is he younger yeah yeah wow Matt Burita is only 26 yeah yeah it, it goes by it goes fast for running backs in the NFL um you're like oh wow this guy's great and then hey what happened to that guy and he's 27 years old yeah mm-hmm that's i mean the drop-off is real yeah it is all right i'll pay running backs no um and that that'll be a conversation for the 2023 offseason when devin singletary is due but we're not getting there just yet all right (laughs) matt Beauvais, any uh fond words of farewell before we we uh wrap this thing up and uh we we uh you know get to the next portion of the offseason here Got to keep the bit going, right? I don't have anything to say, but I am looking forward to trying the famous cocktail sauce at St. Elmo's in a couple weeks. Wow. Or in a a week. I know. Maddie's first combine. My first combine, yeah. (laughs) Never been. I've been to Indy and I've been to Lucas Oil, but I've never been to the combine. So I I don't know what to expect. I don't even know what it's going to be like considering all the... Yeah, yeah, so there's that. And then basically once the combine ends, we get back, and then there's, what, a week and a half before the start of the new league year? Yep, March 16th, I believe. 
Um, and the and the tampering or not tampering, but the negotiation period begins the fourteenth, so mm-hmm. two days before. So mm-hmm. I mean, we're really I mean we're less than a month away from when things get kind of wild in the NFL for a couple weeks. Oh yes, yes indeed. Which is exciting. Which is exciting because then, like right when that ends, March Madness is basically started, and then it's going to be golf season. So that's even better. No, it's then it's going to be draft season. Um, so. March Madness into the NFL draft. Spring is always great. Good good times had by all. Yes. All right, Matt Bovay, I'm excited for you to experience Indianapolis for the first time uh, in terms of the combine. Uh, just be uh, – I, I, I predict that you will go through the combine and you are just going to see a string of people in person that you're like – Oh my God, this person's here, this person's, and just see them all right in a row because, you know, everyone goes basically to the, the same hotel down there. Um, uh-huh. that, and you're going to be like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> because I know you're going to be like, oh my God, this, <laughs> what, what did I just see? Yeah, that's, that's kind of the combine. You'll see Jerry Jones bus parked outside downtown Indianapolis. That's a staple of the year um, because he doesn't drive. And so they've, they've just got the bus out there. It's got a big Cowboys logo on it. Yep. All these staples of, of the combine. You're gonna you're gonna experience all of it. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much for jumping in on on this edition of the pod, and uh, we look forward to having you on in the future, my man. Of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So that'll do it for this round. Um, the next time you'll hear from me will be at or after the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, which will be the week of February 28th, first week of March. Uh, should be fun because we'll get to hear from Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, and uh, see what else we can draw from their answers into their off-season planning. And if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. Get yourself a nice little uh, nice little savings on your yearly subscription to The Athletic and uh, get to read all the stuff that we put up over there. All right, so for Matt Bovey, my name's Joe Piscali. Thanks, everyone, for jumping in on this version of The Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you in a couple weeks. See you then.